Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, people? Welcome to the post-game number crunch. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting, creator of the House and Grouse Timbles newsletter, and this podcast is proudly brought to you by Canis Hoopus and SB Nation. If you're new to the show at the start of this season, number crunch is just a quick post-game show I'll be doing for the entirety of this season, picking out one number or one stat and using it to focus on a wider trend or a theme of the game. And, whew, what a game it was. You go the whole off-season filled with these hopes and the dreams and the expectations, but even as long-suffering Wolves fans that we are, you quickly forget the gut punch that is a loss that probably should have been a win, and that's what this was. The Wolves lose to the Utah Jazz, 132-126. They drop another big lead in the third quarter, and... We get the first really big dose of reality that this experiment that they are running right now won't just bubble away into a well-oiled machine overnight. The game really just slammed that home. Obviously, the Jazz are expected to lose a ton of games, but even for all the shortcomings Minnesota experienced in this one, Utah were really good, just like they were really good a few nights ago when they pulverized the Denver Nuggets. Organizations tank, but players don't. I think that's important to remember, especially at the start of a season. And if a team like Minnesota gives a set of plucky players an inch, then they might just go ahead and take that whole mile like the Jazz did tonight. Still, the Wolves have cracks right now that they're trying to wallpaper over on the fly. And, you know, it's not easy. And and this game exposed those cracks pretty badly. And that's why this episode's number for Number Crunch is 116.8, as in 116.8 points per possession that the Wolves' defense allowed in this game. In other words, that's a 116.8 defensive rating. For reference, the Wolves finished last season averaging 111.6 points allowed per 100 possessions, and that was 13th in the league, so... Pretty damn good, and we know that we know the defense is pretty damn good last season. Now, having a bad defensive game doesn't mean they're going to have a bad defensive season, especially in game two. This is a long, long marathon that we have to run so far. But at some point, we knew that the weirdness of trying to slot Rudy Gobert into a defense that prided itself on fast-moving mayhem was going to rear its ugly head, uh, and we got it early and often in this one. That doesn't mean that this is all on Rudy. In fact, he's been pretty monstrous as a presence in both games so far this season. But the scheme is new, and while Gobert and his teammates are adjusting to that scheme and the personnel within the scheme, these knights are always going to be lurking just around the corner. 
Minnesota now have the best rim defender of the last 10 years, probably. And that obviously brings with it a ton of potential success on that end. But last season's team built their defensive success in a different way. And even if switching those habits into new habits will be beneficial in the long run, it takes a lot of hours and a lot of practice to reform those habits and to to build them into new and better ones. The Wolves simply just haven't had that practice yet. As as annoying as that is to say, uh, because we're all annoyed at the loss, and these, as I said, these losses are a gut punch and they really do hurt, but that's the reality. And last season's team was is not this season's team, and and that's st- they're still kind of eyeing out those kinks right now. I think last season's team was a turnover forcing machine. They ranked second best in the league, only behind the long-armed damn pterodactyls in Toronto by forcing uh, turnovers on 16.2% of their defensive possessions. In this game, that number was at 11.5%. Against OKC, it was at 13.5%. Now, that doesn't seem like a big difference, but it is a big difference, and especially when that those numbers, that, that really high 16.2% number was such a huge part of their identity last season. It's just hard to produce those numbers at the same rate when Jared Vanderbilt and Patrick Beverly aren't causing consistent havoc. Um, we saw Vando do it tonight for the Jazz, especially in that last quarter. It was bittersweet to see Vando kind of doing his thing. It's, it's nice that he'll probably get the plaudits that he got once here in Minnesota, um, over in Utah now, but when you're on the opposite end of that, that Vando doing Vando things stuff, it is, um, it's, it's hard to watch. And the opportunity cost, I think, for leaving that turnover causing mantra behind is supposed to be the ability to protect the rim and, you know, protect within two point range by guarding pick and rolls in drop coverage with just one point of attack defender and go bear dropping into the paint, just guarding that pick and roll with two players. And the other opportunity cost is being able to stop open threes more often. Um, by having those two guys on the ball, essentially, or theoretically, you should be able to have less players sinking into the paint, have less players on the ball, have more players sticking to their, to their guy that they're guarding on the three-point line. Now, that last part has been the problem especially with the starters. Now, every single number that you can bring up right now is clearly tainted with such a tiny sample size. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
But when the Wolves' starting five is on the court, their opponents are shooting 25.7% from two-point two range. Now, that's obviously D'Lo, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert. 25.7% from two-point range. That's pretty good, right? <laughs> that's even better than any of the coaching staff could have expected from an inside the arc, from the inside-the-arc area that's been barricaded by the massive presence that is Rudy Gobert. The problem is, as I said, the other part. Those starters have also allowed the Jazz and the Thunder to shoot 41.4% from three. Now, I can't break those numbers down for just the Jazz game. I don't have them in front of me. I'm not sure how to, what website can do that. But you have to think that that number has skyrocketed after this game because it was just too easy, man. And that stems from many different areas. Sure, the... Big guys are going to get all the criticism and the big guys play a part. Both Gobert and Towns were far too relaxed in semi-transition possessions. You know, you can see it right now where Jordan Clarkson's bringing the ball up the court or Mike Conley's bringing, up, bringing the ball up the court and the defense isn't quite in its defensive shell yet and one of those guys just walks into a triple. It happened with Larry Markin and it happened with Kelly Olynyk as well. Um... Towns and Gobert, both of their instinct is to run back into the paint and to be the guy who is there to get a rebound, who is there to protect the rim. And one of those guys has to come out onto the perimeter now. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. They have to do it. And if they don't, there's going to be someone open on the three-point line, especially against a team like the Jazz, who were deploying five shooters pretty much at all times, including Markinen and Olinick, who uh, shot the ball really well and even on a night where they kind of weren't quite as hot, Minnesota might have won this, but they got a lot of open looks, and, and that is to do with the big men. But it also comes from the point point of attack defense as well. Anthony Edwards, I thought, struggled mightily to get through screens in this one when he has been pretty good for this season, um, whether he was guarding Jordan Clarkson or our old friend Malik Beasley or Mike Conley. He just wasn't really good enough. And same goes for D'Angelo Russell. And surprisingly, same goes for Jaden McDaniels in this game. Uh, I thought he was he really struggled to get through screens. And when those guys get knocked off by a screen, the player with the ball now has the option to pull up, which Beasley and Conley and Clarkson did a ton, or to penetrate and force the Wolves' defense to leave their man and shade towards them to help. That leaves the shooter one pass away or two passes away. And it, again, forces Gobert or Cat to become closeout defenders who have to sprint and chase out to the three-point line. And you can get away with one of those guys doing it, but if both of them have to do it, uh, that's not what Chris Finch wants. That's not how this defense is going to work. And I think that's part of the problem, but I also think it's the part that is easiest to fix. And again, we're not talking about in semi-transition here. That's that's different. The, the big men do have to get to their man. But when we're in half-court sets and the other team is running pick-and-roll, uh, this might be the easiest part to fix. The Wolves just need to trust Rudy Gobert. He will spend his night erasing point-of-attack mistakes if that's what he has to do. He, It's not ideal. It's not what the Timberwolves need to become a really, really good team. But they win these games, and they win a lot of games if they trust Gobert to clean up their mistakes when those mistakes do happen. What Gobert cannot do is fix everything. The point of attack 
defenders can't get burnt and then the perimeter defenders, you know, don't hold their nerve and they start to shade in towards towards these drivers and towards the players who are funneling towards the rim and stray away from the guy that they're guarding, who is the guy standing on the three-point line. If teams want to get into a pissing contest with Rudy Gobert at the rim, then the Wolves have to learn to live with that. This is not Carl Anthony Towns anymore. It's not Nas Reed. It's not Jared Vanderbilt protecting the rim. This is Rudy freaking Gobert. They need to be able to live with those pissing contests. If they, if if teams want to challenge Gobert all night at the rim in pick and roll, or if they want to pull up for mid-range shots, a lot of the time, especially against a team like the Utah Jazz, that's a winning formula on defense. But if they continue to leave shooters open and to come off their man to help inside the paint, to tag rollers, you know, to, to show extra bodies, to make the guys who are driving feel like they're surrounded by players, that won't work. That won't be the same sort of result as if the Wolves trust Gobert. And that's when Gobert starts looking bad, and that's when, like in this one, Carl-Anthony Towns starts looking really bad defensively. Again, that's going to take time, it's going to take reps, it's going to take trust, and trust takes time to build. Until then, the Wolves will have to rely on talent until they get that trust, because that trust is essential. The Utah Jazz were not a great perimeter defense team, and that did hurt them in the playoffs, but in the regular season, they were very, very good defensive teams because they trusted Rudy Gobert to clean up whatever mistakes they made. And they didn't rely on talent. Right now, the Wolves are relying on talent to get them through this collective sort of ironing out period. Um, and they just didn't quite get enough of that talent juice in this game. But again, every bit of tape and every bit of collective experience is helpful. So we go again. It's strange. I haven't had a number crunch podcast where I've been focusing on the negatives, but this game was a negative. As much as we can use that excuse that this team doesn't have the experience yet, at the end of the day, they probably should be winning these games. So let's see how it goes next game. It's against the Thunder once again. A good test to see if they can trust Gobert a little bit, if they can work harder through the point of attack on defense, and if those two big guys can get a little bit of synergy in terms of closing out the shooters in semi-transition. Uh, I'll be back for that game, and I'll see you guys then.